Section 34 of History of Henry IV, King of France and Navarre by John Stevens Cabot Abbott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 12, The Reign of Henry IV and His Death, Part 3. The king cooperated cordially with his minister in these rigorous acts of reform and shielded him with all the power of the monarchy from the storm of obloquy which these measures drew upon him. The proud Duke of Epernon, exasperated beyond control, grossly insulted Sully. Henry immediately wrote to his minister, If Epernon challenges you, I will be your second. The amiable but sinning and consequently wretched Gabrielle was now importunate for the divorce that she might be lawfully married to the king. But the children already born could not be legitimized, and Sully so clearly unfolded to the king the confusion which would thus be introduced, and the certainty that in the consequence of it a disputed succession would deluge France in blood, that the king, ardently as he loved Gabrielle, was compelled to abandon the plan. Gabrielle was inconsolable and inveighed bitterly against Sully. The king for a moment forgot himself and cruelly retorted, No woman, that a minister like Sully must be dearer to me than even such a friend as you. This harshness broke the heart of the unhappy Gabrielle. She immediately left Fontainebleau, where she was at that time with the king, and retired to Paris, saying as she bade Henry adieu, We shall never meet again. Her words proved true. On reaching Paris, she was seized with convulsions, gave birth to a lifeless child, and died. Poor Gabrielle, let compassion drop a tear over her grave. She was by nature one of the most lovely and noble of women. She lived in a day of darkness and almost universal corruption. Yielding to the temptation of a heroic monarch's love, she fell, and a subsequent life of sorrow was terminated by an awful death, probably caused by poison. Henry, as soon as informed of her sickness, mounted his horse to gallop to Paris. He had proceeded but halfway when he was met by a courier who informed him that Gabrielle was dead. The dreadful blow staggered the king, and he would have fallen from his horse had he not been supported by his attendants. He retired to Fontainebleau, shut himself up from all society, and surrendered himself to the most bitter grief. Sully in vain endeavored to console him. It was long before he could turn his mind to any business, but there is no pain whose anguish time will not diminish. New cares and new loves at length engrossed the heart where Gabrielle had for a few brief years so supremely reigned. The utterly profligate Marguerite, now that Gabrielle was dead, whom she of course hated, was perfectly willing to assent to a divorce. While arrangements were making to accomplish this end, the king chanced to meet a fascinating yet pert and heartless coquette, Henriette d'Entragues, daughter of Francis Balzac, Lord of Entragues. Though exceedingly beautiful, she was a calculating, soulless girl who was glad of a chance to sell herself for rank and money. She thus readily bartered her beauty to the king, exacting with the most cool financiering as the price a written promise 
that he would marry her as soon as he should obtain a divorce from marguerite of valois upon condition that she within the year should bear him a son the king having written the promise placed it in the hands of sully the bold minister read it then tore it into fragments the king amazed at such boldness exclaimed in a passion sir i believe that you are mad true sire i am replied sully but would to god that i were the only madman in france but henry notwithstanding his anger could not part from a minister whose services were so invaluable he immediately drew up another promise which he placed in the hands of the despicable beauty this rash and guilty pledge was subsequently the cause of great trouble to the king the king having obtained a divorce the nation demanded that he should form a connection which should produce a suitable heir to inherit the throne thus urged and as henrietta did not give birth to the wished-for son henry reluctantly married in the year sixteen hundred maria of medici niece of the grand duke of tuscany maria was a domineering crafty ambitious woman who embittered the life of the king she was very jealous and with reason enough of the continued influence of henrietta and the palace was the scene of disgraceful domestic broils henry in one of his letters to sully describes the queen as terribly robust and healthy but when she gave birth to a son who was undeniably heir to the throne thus allaying the fears of a disputed succession the whole nation rejoiced and henry became somewhat reconciled to his unattractive spouse the king was exceedingly fond of this child one day the spanish ambassador a dignified castilian was rather suddenly ushered into the royal presence at fontainebleau the monarch was on all fours on the floor running about the room with the little dauphin on his back raising his eyes he said to the ambassador are you a father yes sire was the reply then i may finish my play said henry and he took another trot around the room henrietta and her relatives were greatly exasperated that the king did not fulfil his promise of marriage the father and daughter joined by the count d'auvergne plotted against the king's life they were arrested and condemned to death the king however transmuted their punishment to exile one of the grandest schemes of henry deserves particular mention reflecting deeply upon the wars with which europe had ever been desolated and seeing the occasion for this in the innumerable states and nations into which europe was divided of various degrees of power and each struggling for its own selfish interest he proposed to unite all the states of europe into one christian republic the whole continent was to be divided into fifteen states as uniform in size and power as possible these states were to be according to their choice monarchical or republican they were to be associated on a plan somewhat resembling that of the united states of america nothing can more conclusively show the entire absence of correct notions of religious toleration prevailing at that day than the plan proposed to prevent religious quarrels wherever any one form of faith predominated that was to be maintained as the national faith in catholic states there were to be no protestants in protestant states no catholics the minority however were not to be exterminated 
they were only to be compelled to emigrate to the countries where their own form of faith prevailed all pagans and mohammedans were to be driven out of europe into asia to enforce this change an army of two hundred and seventy thousand infantry fifty thousand cavalry two hundred cannon and one hundred and twenty ships of war was deemed amply sufficient the first step was to secure the cooperation of two or three of the most powerful kings of europe this would render success almost certain sully examined the plan with the utmost care in all its details henry wished first to secure the approval of england sweden and denmark but in the midst of these schemes of grandeur henry was struck down by the hand of an assassin on the fourteenth of may sixteen ten the king left the louvre at four o'clock in the afternoon to visit sully who was sick preparations were making for the public entry of the queen who after a long delay had just been crowned the city was thronged the day was fine and the curtains of the coach were drawn up several nobles were in the spacious carriage with the king as the coach was turning out of the street of Honore into the narrow street ferronnerie it was stopped by two carts which blocked up the way just at that instant a man from the crowd sprang upon a spoke of the wheel and struck a dagger into the king just above the heart instantly repeating the blow the heart was pierced blood gushed from the wound and from the mouth of the king and without uttering a word he sank dead in the arms of his friends the wretched assassin a fanatic monk was immediately seized by the guard with difficulty they protected him from being torn to pieces by the infuriated people his name was francis ravaillac according to the savage custom of the times he was subsequently put to death with the most frightful tortures the lifeless body of the king was immediately taken to the tuileries and placed upon a bed surgeons and physicians hurried to the room only to gaze upon his corpse no language can depict the grief and despair of france at his death he had won the love of the whole nation and to the present day no one hears the name of henry the fourth mentioned in france but with affection he was truly the father of his people all conditions employments and professions were embraced in his comprehensive regard he spared no toil to make france a happy land he was a man of genius and of instinctive magnanimity in conversation he had no rival his profound and witty sayings which have been transmitted to us are sufficient to form a volume his one great and almost only fault sadly tarnishes his otherwise fair and honourable fame in henry commenced the reign of the house of bourbon for nearly two hundred years the family retained the crown it is now expelled and the members are wandering in exile through foreign lands there is one great truth which this narrative enforces it is the doctrine of freedom of conscience it was the denial of this simple truth which deluged france in blood and woe the recognition of this one sentiment would have saved for france hundreds of thousands of lives and millions of treasure let us take warning we need it let us emblazon upon our banner the noble words toleration perfect civil and religious toleration but toleration is not a slave 
it is a spirit of light and of liberty it has much to give but it has just as much to demand it bears the olive branch in one hand and the gleaming sword in the other i grant to you it says perfect liberty of opinion and of expression and i demand of you the same let us then inscribe upon the arch which spans our glorious union making us one in its celestial embrace freedom of speech freedom of the press and free men then shall that arch beam upon us like god's bow of promise in the cloud proclaiming that this land shall never be deluged by the surges of civil war that it never shall be inundated by flames and blood the human mind is now so roused that it will have this liberty and if there are any institutions of religion or of civil law which cannot stand the scrutiny they are doomed to die the human mind will move with untrammelled sweep through the whole range of religious doctrine and around the whole circumference and into the very centre of all political assumptions if the catholic bishop have a word to say let him say it if some one rising in the spirit and power of martin luther has a reply to make let him make it those who wish to listen to the one or the other let them do so those who wish to close their ears let them have their way our country is one our liberty is national let us then grant toleration everywhere throughout our wide domain in maine and in georgia amid the forests of aroostook and upon the plains of kansas end of section thirty four recording by pamela nagami m d in encino california october two thousand nineteen end of history of henry the fourth king of france and navarre by john stevens cabot abbott